0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Community of Hope. My name is Jessica Stafford. I am the Director of Children's Ministry here, and I am so honored to be here with you sharing this morning. Hey, if you're new here and you're just tuning in, we would love for you to go ahead and just text hello there to that number at the bottom of your screen. We're not gonna sell your info, we're not gonna spam you. We just wanna help you get connected to everything that is going on here in the life of our church. So today we are continuing the sermon series that Pastor Trevor started last week about hope. And I don't know about you, but in this time that we're in, it felt just like what I needed last week, Pastor Trevor talked about all these things that we're facing on a national level, on a global level, and I know for many of us, including myself, that there have been many struggling, hard circumstances on a personal level as well. For me, many of you may know that I lost my mom about a month ago, but the things that God has been teaching me about hope in this season are so good and so true, and I'm excited to share them with you today. So last week, Pastor Trevor reminded us what hope is, and I think that hope has kind of gotten a bad rap in our society. I think a lot of times we think about hope as something that we wish for. You know, I looked up the Google image search, and there were a lot of sunrises, a lot of birds flying, a lot of butterflies, and there's nothing wrong with all that. But hope isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just good vibes. It's not just looking on the bright side. Biblical hope is so much more than that. And Trevor reminded us last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to his message, make sure you check back and do that. But he reminded us that hope is best placed in a person and not in an outcome. And of course, that person is Jesus Christ. He also reminded us that hope is a choice. In these times that are trying, we have to remember to choose hope. And in order to do that, he reminded us to do three things, to remember who God is, to remember what God has done in our own lives, in our family lives, through in the past that we see through scripture, and also to remember what God will do, what he has promised us. So today we're going to take all of that that we talked about last week, and we're going to go one step further, and we're going to talk about what hope does in our lives, In order to do that, we are going to be looking at a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews. And just a little quick background about the book of Hebrews, no one really knows who the author is or really who the specific audience was. But what we do know from the context of the book is that the author was writing to a group of Christians who were facing some sort of discouraging, trying circumstances, probably some persecution in the building days of the early church. So through this book, you will find a lot of encouragement, a lot of advice on the ways to stay focused on Jesus. So we're going to be reading Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. And if you've been reading in our Word of God speak reading plan along with us, we've been in Hebrews this whole week. So I just love that God has brought this passage right to the forefront of all of our minds. So if you have a Bible around you, if you want to grab out your Bible app, we're going to read these verses together. And if you don't have it near you, it'll come up on your screen as well. So let's read Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We see in those verses what Pastor Trevor was talking about, remembering who God is. He's unchangeable. He cannot lie. And these are the two verses that we're really going to focus key in on today, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So before we dive into this, let's all pray together. Father God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being true and unchangeable, incapable of lying to us, Lord, God, we're here, and we pray that you would just open our hearts, our ears, our minds, our eyes to what you would have us see today. Lord, I pray that your words would come out of my mouth and that everyone listening, whenever they are streaming this, Lord, that they would hear a word directly spoken to them from you. God, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so you may not know this about me. But I have always kind of fancied myself like a wilderness person, someone who could survive in the outdoors and stop laughing, okay? But I'm pretty sure it all started back in eighth grade when I went on a middle school mission trip. We went to North Carolina to repair some houses, which, side note, who thinks middle schoolers should be repairing houses? Like, that just seems, I don't even know. But as part of this mission trip, we went on a youth group bonding experience and we went whitewater rafting at the Nantahala River. Now, I'm pretty sure that it was like class four, five rapids. There were waterfalls, boulders. It was intense. Now, when I went to find like pictures of it to show you guys, everything said family style whitewater rafting, but I'm pretty sure the river has changed. It was definitely crazy back then. But so there we are. There's five of us in our little inflatable raft, four middle school girls and a guide. Maybe this is sounding like some of your worst nightmares. And we were getting ready to go through a series of rapids, right? So there were like three or four rapids in a row, and our guide was giving us all the directions, okay? So which way to lean and who should be paddling, which side, where we needed to brace our feet, everything we needed to know to get through safely. Now, she also told us that as we went through the rapids, if anything were to happen, which it wasn't going to— then we should swim directly to the sides of the river because there was actually a rapid in that series that we would be walking around due to a dangerous whirlpool that had formed at the bottom of the rapid. Okay, so we get all these instructions. We're ready. We wait our turn in the line of rafts to come down to the slot to enter the rapid and something went wrong. The end of the raft went up on a rock. We all dove down to the front of the raft to try and get it off. And of course, the raft flipped. All I remember is rushing water, freezing cold, bouncing off of rocks. Now, of course, the company is prepared for this, right? So they have a man way up high on a rock ready with his rescue rope. He throws the rope in. My friends and I grab the end of it, pull on it, and he also falls in the river. So now there are six of us in the river, if you're counting. And all I remember next is seeing my guide on the side of the riverbank, holding her paddle out to me and yelling, swim, swim, swim. So I swam. I grabbed the paddle. We got to shore. Everything was okay. (laughs) was a little traumatized like try convincing a bunch of middle school girls to get back in a raft after that happened but once i got over it we returned safely home i think it really like wet my appetite for adventure my husband and i even moved to colorado where we continu- continued our adventurous life I have a picture of us whitewater rafting when we lived there we were very adventurous as you can see but anyways, I think all of this has made me just really love hearing stories about people who live that adventure life. So this week as I was preparing for this message, I read a story about a man named Mark Angel. And Mark Angel lives in Oregon, and he lives along a river called the Deschute River. And this river has lots of rapids, and people go whitewater kayaking there and rafting and fishing and all of these different things. And Mark Angel has become the person who runs a whitewater salvage business there. Basically, when things go wrong, he's the one who comes in to retrieve things from the river. Now, sometimes that is unfortunate things like finding a body after a drowning accident. But then most often it's drift boats, which people take to fish salmon and things, and they drift down the river with the current and around rapids. Now, here's what I thought was so interesting as I was reading this article about Mark Angel. The author wrote this sentence. A lot of Angel's salvage operations are on drift boats that go down in white water. You would think that boats get sunk because they hit big rocks, because the pilot took the wrong route through the rapid, but a lot of boats go down, ready, because something goes wrong with the anchor. And Mark Angel said, most of the boating accidents I go on are anchor-related. I just thought about that. All these dangerous circumstances, rocks and rapids and underwater currents, things that can go wrong, and yet most of the disasters there are because of a misplaced anchor. And I thought, how true might that be in our own lives? How many disasters have we encountered and fought through because we don't have our anchor placed correctly? So let's talk first about what is an anchor, right? This should be pretty easy because we're all Florida people. Most of us are Florida people, right? An anchor is something, anchor is something that is strong, unmovable, unshakable. It provides security and safety. You know, when that anchor is down, that you are not going to move, right? So when we look at verse 19 and it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, that very clearly means that this hope This hope set before us, the hope of eternal life through Jesus, is what keeps us strong, unmovable, and unshakable. This hope is the hope of eternal life, the confident expectation that what God said is true. I think one of the best ways I've heard this put is from my oldest daughter, Charlie, who's seven. For Mother's Day, she planned a whole elaborate celebration. I got a rainbow manicure. I got a rainbow choker necklace. It was very fancy. But my favorite thing that I got was one of those little questionnaire sheets that kids often fill out about their moms, right? There's questions like, what was your mom like before she had kids? And she wrote relaxed. So I don't know what that means, but the best question said, what is the smartest thing your mom has ever said to you? And I'll show you your answer here and interpret the seven-year-old handwriting. She said that it was that this is not my real life. This is my seven-year-old daughter, and she knows that the hope we have is that this isn't it, that our lives are truly on the other side in eternity. So that's what our anchor is. So let's think about what happens when we don't have an anchor. Okay, again, those of us who are in South Florida, we know this well. Picture the last time you went to the beach. Okay, I know that might be a sore subject, but let's just move on past it, okay? So last time you went to the beach— you go on down to the sand with all your stuff. You have your umbrella, your chairs. You know, if you're high maintenance, you have your cabana, whatever it is you carry down. You claim your little sand patch and then you head on out to the ocean. You enjoy the cool water, the waves. You're just enjoying your time. Maybe you're in your inner tube, your pool noodle. And suddenly when you look back to shore, you realize that those umbrellas don't quite look like the ones you started by. And is the lifeguard stand really over there? And wasn't that pure further that direction? So what happens without an anchor is we drift. That's what happens in our lives too, you guys. In Hebrews 2.1, it says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away it is sometimes a lot easier to drift, right? It's more pleasant. You just go with the flow. There aren't as many obstacles. But the thing is, when a really strong current comes, think like an undertow, or when a storm comes, we can't stand on our own strength. We need something else anchoring us to keep us safe. Um, Matthew Henry, who is a biblical commentator, wrote this. We are in this world as a ship at sea, liable to be tossed up and down and in danger of being cast away. The temptations, persecutions, and afflictions that we encounter are the winds and waves that threaten our ship. We have need of an anchor to keep us sure and steady, or we are in continual danger. So now let's get to the good part, right? What happens with an anchor? We're going to look at verses 19 and 20 to think about this. These verses say it, which is the anchor, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, I know that's like kind of a lot. So we're going to back up for a minute and have a brief history lesson, okay? So we're going to back up to ancient Israel, Israelites wandering the desert with Moses. Okay, you with me? So Moses receives all the directions from God on how to build the temple. He gets, I mean, very specific. What are the colors? What are the materials? What are the metals? What are the designs? How big? How long? How thick? Every single detail is covered, And in those instructions, God tells Moses that he needs to make an inner part of the temple that is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in this area, this is the place where the ark is going to reside. And this is the place where the presence of God will come down when he is going to dwell amongst his people. Now, the thing about this place is that God also instructs Moses to seal it off with a curtain from ceiling to floor. That does not allow anyone to come in to the most holy place. Not one ordinary person is allowed anywhere near it. The priests are not even allowed in it. In fact, only one priest, the most high priest, is allowed to enter into that place where the presence of God dwells. And that's only one time of year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, when he is offering a sin offering for himself, the priesthood, and all the Israelite people. Okay, so there's a curtain sealing off this presence of God. Now for the next part, I want to transition you to one of my favorite kids' books called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. And this book walks kids and adults, it's a good one, you should check it out, through the story of humanity from the garden all the way to now. And it talks about how that curtain was hung as a sign to the people, and it was saying, because of your sin, you can't come in. But then... This book tells a story that we see in scripture, where when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the moment he died, that curtain tore in half from top to bottom, ceiling to floor, from heaven to earth, allowing the presence of God to be accessed by anyone who would come to him through Jesus. And I love the illustration in this book that shows it. You can see the curtains there on the side you can see God welcoming the people into his presence. Now that Jesus has cleansed their sin, they can come into the very presence of God. And guys, this is what the anchor does for us. When we have this hope as an anchor, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So that's where it goes into that most holy place that we were never allowed in. And it pulls us into the presence of God. It, guys, it gives, helps us experience deeper intimacy with the Lord. I can't even tell you in the last few weeks of my mom's life how many answered prayers we had, how close the Lord was, how near and personal he was in every difficult moment. And that's what having that hope as an anchor does for us is it pulls us into the presence of our Father. There's a song that we sing here often at Communion. of Hope. You'll recognize the first couple lines. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And later on in the song, I don't know if you've ever caught this or know these, these words, but it says, In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil inside that curtain, inside that most holy place that we are now invited to. So not only are we pulled into deeper relationship with God, but when we have that anchor, we can survive storms. Now notice, I didn't say we avoid storms. Jesus told us there will be trouble in the world. And like, I think we've all gotten it by now, right? We got it, Jesus. There's trouble in the world. But it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. But it means that no matter how battered how broken, how bruised we feel, that we can survive them. In those storms, I think one of the hardest ones is death, is grief. And after my mom passed, there was a verse that just kind of has become one of my life verses for this season. And it's 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope right? And we do not live as those who have no hope either. We grieve differently. We we live differently. When my mom was first diagnosed um, about three years ago, I made her a little box. And inside that box, I put all these little sheets of paper, and I had written down all these verses of hope and encouragement that she could just look at when she was feeling scared. And one of the verses that I wrote down was Romans 5, 1 through 5, and it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hear this part hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think that I used to think that having hope was naive. I thought it was just ignoring the darkness, the bad circumstances, pretending they weren't there. But now, in this past season, in this past month, in these past three years that we've walked this journey, I've learned that having hope takes courage. It takes courage to look at situations that look terrible and still believe in the goodness of our God. But that hope will not put us to shame. It won't pull the rug out from under us. It doesn't trick us into anything. That hope is where we can put our anchor and our strength. C.S. Lewis said, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Guys, hope does not put us to shame. Life will still be hard. We will still grieve. And you know what? <laughs> Grief and hope can coexist. Anxiety and hope can coexist. God is going to be there for us. And one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Elliot, who's a missionary and a speaker, she said this. Of one thing I am perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. So here is the best part. Not only does an anchor keep us from breaking in storms, lets us survive those storms, but the anchor has a hold of us. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Our God holds on to us. We have a responsibility to hold on to our hope. But when you feel like your hands are getting so tired, when you feel like that anchor chain is just getting so heavy, is feeling like you're not sure if you can actually do it, God holds on to you too. I love the way um, theologian Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. He said, Do you know anything about your hope holding you? It will hold you if it is a good hope. You will not be able to get away from it, but under temptation and depression of spirit and under trial and affliction, you will not only hold your hope, that is your duty, but your hope will hold you, and that is your privilege. When the devil tempts you to say, I will give it all up, A power unseen will speak out of the infinite deeps and will reply, but I shall not give you up. I have a hold of you and none shall separate us. Our security depends far more upon God's holding us than our holding to him. And our hope in God that he will fulfill his oath and promise has a mighty power over us, far more than equal to all the efforts of the world, the flesh, and the devil to drag us away. Guys, hope is what remains when it feels like everything else has fallen away. Hope is what sustains when you don't think you can last another minute. And hope is what proclaims that this world is not all there is. That our creator God wants us to spend eternity with him. The commander of angel armies sent his son for us sent him to die so that we can spend our eternity in the hope that he promised us. Friends, if you've never placed your hope in Jesus, what are you waiting for? And if you already have that hope, just grasp a little tighter, but also know, know in the depths of your soul Our God is holding on to you, and he's not going to let go. Let's pray together. Father God, your hope is almost too good for us to fathom. So I pray that you would help us to understand what you have promised us that you would help us to know of the life that awaits us, life with you, eternal life, where there is no more sickness and no more sadness, where every bad thing has been washed away. Lord, if there are people here listening who have never asked you to trust, have never asked you to be in their hearts, then God, Pull them close to you. And if you've never done that and you're ready to, just tell God. Say, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry I've tried to be my own anchor. And ask God to forgive you, to be the Lord of your life, to be the only anchor that can provide us any sort of security and hope in this broken world. God, we love you. We praise you because everything you say is true. It's in your son Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. If you've just put your hope in Jesus for the first time, or you have questions about doing that, or you're thinking maybe you're ready to be baptized or take the next step in your faith, and we want to help you do that, you can text NEXT just to that number there at the bottom of your screen. Or you can go to communityofhope.church next and someone will contact you to help you keep your faith growing even during this time. And now we receive this benediction from Hebrews 10 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Have a great week y'all. We'll see you next Sunday.